It's always good when you preach that you start coughing, right? That's brilliant. Um, yeah, I mean, Becky has given us a bit of... No, there's, I've got lots more. <laughs> uh, Becky's given us an intro into the series, but for the benefit of the tape, I'll just reiterate that we are starting a new series. We're calling it Devotion in Action, and we're picking up at the end of Acts chapter 2, um, as Luke has described what the church was devoted to, I'm tempted to do it again and see if you're listening to Becky, but I'll just say, they were devoted to the apostolic teaching, the teaching of the apostles, they were devoted to fellowship, they are devoted to breaking bread, and they were devoted to prayer. And then Luke just describes this amazing, dynamic church that out of this devotion, we're told that people were filled with awe. We're told that there were signs and wonders being done by the apostles. And then a little bit later on, we're not going to get there this side of summer, but non-apostles doing signs and wonders as well. You know, you've got Stephen doing signs and wonders. You've got Philip doing signs and wonders as he preaches. You've got uh, Ananias. Is it Ananias? Um, the name of the guy in Acts chapter 9 that, God sends, that Jesus sends to Paul to cure him of his blindness. It's just there's also an Ananias in chapter 5 who dies. It's confusing, you see. You've got to tie these threads together. Different people, I'm guessing. But signs and wonders being done by this devoted early church. And then most impressively, the Lord adding daily to their number those who are being saved. This is their devotion in action, being outworked amongst the people of Israel that they were sent to at that time. So we're going to pick up the book of Acts from chapter 3 onwards. I'm debating how far along we will go. We might go to the end. We might not. We might just take breaks every now and again like we have been anyway. But I think it's really important to see what the early church was like because I don't want to say the early church was perfect. If the early church was perfect, we wouldn't have most of the New Testament because most of the New Testament was written to correct things that were going wrong in the early church. But I think there is an awful lot about the early church that we are lacking and missing in the Western church. And we need to go back sometimes to our roots and say, Lord, what can we reclaim? What do you want to restore to the church? So that's why we're doing this. Uh, so starting in Acts chapter 3, um, I'm just going to go through it and note a few bits, and then I've got three questions at the end. So Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful, so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. 
While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus. We're going to pause there for a bit. Uh, next week, Martin Flood from Basinstoke is going to come and do the rest of Peter's preach. But I just wanted to stop there for reasons that will become evident. So what we have here is a fantastic, amazing story. Back end of Acts chapter 2, Luke says, maybe a bit nebulously, the apostles were doing signs and wonders. Well, here we have one of them. Here we have um, one of the other science teachings and miracles that Jesus continued to teach and to do. Remember back at the beginning of, of Acts, Luke says, in my first book, Theophilus, I told you about everything that Jesus began to teach and to do, with the implication being he's about to tell you what Jesus went on to preach and teach and do signs and wonders. And this is one of them. The context is Peter and John going to the temple. We've just said that they, were, they went to the temple regularly. They actually, it, from chapter 2, verse 46, we know that they went to the temple every day. It was their daily custom as the community of Jesus to meet in two contexts, one at the temple and then from house to house as they broke bread. So Peter and John go into the temple for the time of prayer and they see this man who was lame from birth. You know, this wasn't an accident that happened to him. This wasn't some person that was able-bodied and knew what life was like and then tragedy struck. This is someone who was born into tragedy who could not walk from birth. He was being carried there and he was placed there each day at the temple gate called Beautiful. Now, just to set the scene, there were kind of a, a whole set of concentric courtyards in the temple. At the outermost, you had the courtyard that anyone could go into, even the Gentiles. The Gentiles were allowed in the outer courtyard. Then in the next concentric courtyard in, you had one that all Israelites could go into, men or women. You then had the next one where only Jewish men could go. Then you had the one that only the priests could go into. And then you had the Holy of Holies right at the heart of the temple, where only one man could go once a year, taking the blood sacrifices of the temple to atone for the sins of the people of Israel. Now, the beautiful gate is between the Israelite-only court and the Jewish men court. That is where they had placed this lame man to ask and beg for alms. And he was placed there every day, it says. Now, when this man saw Peter and John, he asked for money. Like, let's face it, if you're there every day and you're dependent upon people, it's actually probably just a reflex. Any money, please? Please? You see it as you go around town. People asking for money because they let's be generous and assume that they are what they appear to be they don't have anywhere else to go they don't have any other recourse and so they ask for people have you got any money peter looked straight at him now i think that it's interesting if you look at the two people or the, uh, the two parties here you got the man who is lame seeing peter and john 
And he's got faith enough to ask for money. But Peter and John look at this man and it's almost like we're seeing the gift of faith that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 in operation here. As Peter and John look at this lame man, it's like they know because they know because the Holy Spirit is telling them, I'm about to do something here. They said, look at us. So the lame man turns to them, expecting to get something from them. I love Luke's understatement. He was expecting to get money. That would mean that he had the ability to buy some food and continue to subsist. As Peter and John looked at him, they knew that they had something very different to money to give. He had faith enough to ask for alms. They were getting faith for his healing and for his wholeness. So Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. It's a ballsy move. It's a bold move. It is a faith-filled move from Peter. See, it's interesting. The man was not expecting healing. He didn't have faith for healing. He was healed because of Peter's faith for his healing. And that is a valid place. You know, sometimes Jesus said to people, your faith has healed you. Hallelujah. But actually, we as the people of God can be led to have faith for people, for God to move in signs and wonders and miracles. Taking him by the right hand, he raised him up and at once his feet and ankles became strong. Peter doesn't just stand there saying, come on then. I said, get up and walk. No, he gives him a hand because this guy's never done it. He hasn't walked. He's been lame since birth. So he extends the same mercy that Jesus extends us, takes his hand, and as he lifts him up, the miracle happens. At once, his feet and ankles become strong. He entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. I'm pretty sure from my parents' generation, there was a chorus that was doing the rounds in those days, walking, leaping, and praising God. I don't know the tune, otherwise I would, of course, <laughs> lead us all in that chorus right now. But imagine it. This guy, and all the people saw him, and they recognised that it is this man who has been at the beautiful gate every single day for the 40 years of his life. And here he is, walking. Not just walking, leaping and praising God. They were filled with awe and astonishment. And wouldn't you be? Would you not be? So all the people ran toward Peter and John. And when Peter saw this, he addressed the people now. Crucial. Signs and wonders are for this. Signs and wonders are not just so that we can have a good time. Amen? Amen. Signs and wonders are not just to make church a little bit more exciting because, frankly, we're a little bit bored of listening to you now, John. Signs and wonders are not just window dressing or frills or nice-to-haves. No. Signs and wonders 
catch people's attention so that we can give them Jesus. That is the purpose of them. They are signs to make people wonder so that then we can say, this is it. This is it. Now, there are other reasons that God heals as well. God heals because he is love, because he is mercy, because he is good, because actually he wants to restore what the enemy introduced into the world when he led Adam and Eve into rebellion. But signs and wonders have this additional layer to them, which is to open people up to hear the gospel preached. And that's exactly what Peter goes on to do. Immediately, he turns it away from himself and says, hey, oh, no, 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 I didn't do anything. God, the God of our ancestors, did this to glorify his servant Jesus. And on he goes. Amazing, isn't it? Yes. Absolutely astounding what God does. Now, I said I have three questions, and I do. Question one, can this still happen today? Yeah, good. You haven't come across the dodgy theology that says, no, this was just for back then. Jesus doesn't do this anymore. I grew up in a church a bit like that. Yes, God is still able to move in signs and wonders in a way that astonishes people. Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus that walked the earth and healed people, the same Jesus that filled the church with the Holy Spirit and then sent them out in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what we see in the book of Acts is the same Jesus that is our Lord and Saviour today. Amen? Amen. Acts 1 verse 1, I've already mentioned it. In my first book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. He continues to do and to teach even today. It is a different church movement than ours, but I love the name Acts 29. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts in our Bibles, but what Acts 29 says is that same Jesus that moved 2,000 years ago in the first expansion of the gospel is moving today, and we are in the good of that. I love it. See, the kingdom is at hand. We started this year in this place. The kingdom is at hand, and part of the kingdom is that the king is putting right what is broken and in need of repair. Spiritually, yes, but also physically. Lives transformed by the gospel, yes, amen, hallelujah, but also bodies made well. It is all part of the kingdom of God, and I believe that God wants to raise our faith for signs and wonders in our midst. We've actually had instances already this year where people have said, actually, can you pray for me, please? I've got a problem with my eyes. I think Eddie had a problem with his eyes. People have got prayed and what do you know? God moves. I feel like that is just us dipping the toe in the water of where God wants us to be. So can this still happen today? Yes. Question two, how? How can we move in signs and wonders? Well, first of all, I think we want to talk about devotion to Jesus. They were going to the temple. Why? For prayer. It was the hour of prayer. 
And then they went on to worship God in the temple with the man who was healed. And then right at the very end, they credit Jesus with the miracle, not themselves. Uh, We're going to get there in a few weeks' time, but in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the Sanhedrin have pulled in Peter and John because they're causing a bit of a ruckus and they kind of want them to stop it. And it says in verse 13 of chapter 4, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realised that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognised that they had been with Jesus. So first step to moving in signs and wonders, to, to getting faith for God to move in this sort of way today, being with Jesus. Yes. Being with Jesus. I think the other bit that we can say is that we need to learn how to add supernatural resources to the natural resources we are comfortable using. I love what Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. I feel like the Western church would flip that on its head and say, well, I can't heal you, but have some money, have some food, come and join us in this social endeavour. Now, it's not wrong to have money or material resources. It isn't. God blesses us with these things. And it's certainly not wrong to feed and clothe those who need it. That is part of the kingdom as well. But it becomes wrong if we are only comfortable using those natural resources and are not able to say, what I have I give you in the name of Jesus, be healed. Third thing, how we can start moving in signs and wonders. Quite simply, openness to the leading of the spirit. See, this was not the first time they've seen this man. I hadn't picked up on this, but I was reading Michael Eaton um, about this chapter of Acts, and he just pointed out, they were worshiping daily. He was begging for alms daily. They knew who he was. Every single other time they've gone past, they have not felt that it was right for this man to be healed. But in this moment, they have faith. The Holy Holy Spirit imparts a gift of faith. And both Peter and John knew what the Lord wanted to do for this man. I actually think they probably gave money to him in the past. They would have done as they walked past just as part of being a good member of Israeli society. But today, the Holy Spirit said, I've got something different. So pray that the Holy Spirit will train you to discern when he's moving and how best to apply your faith for healing. Because there's two different ways. There's the James 5 way of praying for healing. And that is valid. That is legitimate. That is actually should be part of the normal life of the church. But there's also the way that Peter and John do here, which is commanding healing in the name of Jesus. But you do it as an overflow of your relationship with Jesus, not because it's some magic formula. A little bit later, even on in the book of Acts, you've got the seven sons of Sceva who try and cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And they, they do it as a formula. In the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out of him. 
and there's that chilling response from the demons. Jesus we know, and Paul we've heard of, but who are you? No, this is not a formula that we can apply. It comes out of deep personal relationship with Jesus Christ, where Jesus knows who we are. How else can we do it? Well, we get practicing in the church first. It's one thing to pray for someone who needs healing in this room. It's a whole other level to go to Regent Circus, spot someone who is maybe limping a little bit and say, in the name of Jesus, be healed, if the Holy Spirit leads you to do it. But how, you, you can't go from faith like this to faith like this in a single bound. The apostles had been training with Jesus for three years. He had been teaching them about how to move in these things. And we have to start somewhere too. So we can start building our courage for these things here with one another. Do we love one another? Yes. Amen. Thank you, Becky. We love you guys. And I hope that you love one another. Which means, actually, that is a safe space to start praying for one another's healing, to start listening out for what the Holy Spirit is saying to one another and sharing it. This is normal church life. And then the fifth thing, fifth thing, sorry, went all Shrek. Pick two, my Lord. Fifth thing, humility. As quickly as possible, Peter takes the attention off himself and puts it right back on God and Jesus. Because you see, God delights to share his life, power and authority with us. I nearly wrote, God shares his glory with no man. But that's not true. He does share his glory with us. But we need to remember it is his life that we are receiving and sharing with others. A little bit like the beads that Becky talked about. I'm willing to bet they're not buying those beads with their own money. I suspect that they are being invested in by their parents. And so Phil and Becky are sharing their resources, giving them to the kids for the kids to share around. That is what we are about. Our father gives us his glory, his power, his authority for us to share because he shared it with us in the first place. So how can we move in signs and wonders? Devotion to Jesus, add supernatural resources to the natural resources we already know how to use, be open to the leading of the spirit, practice in the church first, and act in humility. Third question I have, are there any dangers to avoid? If you've been in church for any length of time, you know the answer to that is as resounding a yes as it was to my first question, which is, can this still happen today? Yes, there are dangers to avoid. First danger to avoid, engineering a miracle. No. No. Mm-hmm. This miracle was not hyped up or organised by Peter. He didn't go on a healing crusade or host a revival or anything like that. He was just going about his daily business and the Holy Spirit said, oi, there. I was like, oh, okay, let's go. He didn't just flip a switch or somehow turn the healing on. No, he was taken by surprise as well. He was simply obedient to the leading of the Spirit and we need to learn to walk in that tension of openness and expectancy that the Holy Spirit is gonna move and use us 
but also then avoiding trying to make something happen. Because we can't make anything happen. Second danger to avoid, legalism and performance. I talked about devotion to Jesus as the first thing to start moving in signs and wonders. The flip side of devotion to Jesus looks a lot like it. See, my temptation when reading stories like this is to fall back into legalistic performance. Okay, I want Jesus to use me, so I need to pray more, and then I'll start to see them. I'll get up at five every day and start my time in prayer. No, I don't. I'm going to read the Bible more. And then I'll start seeing signs and wonders. I'm going to learn to be more patient. I mean, I need to learn to be more patient. But then I'll start seeing things. I'm going to stop this. I'm going to start this. Somehow, that is what we fall back into. As if we can earn proficiency in moving in the spirit. That's not it at all. Why stare at us as if our own godliness or power produced this? The temptation when you start going to, well, I'll pray more, I'll read the Bible more, I'll raise my faith more, is that you're trying to stir it up. You're trying to earn it. But that won't work because our own godliness and power is not going to do it. The Lord Jesus does the healing or nobody gets healed. He qualifies and gives us authority, not because of any good in ourselves, but because he is good, loving and gracious. I'll be honest, today I have already had to apologise to people very close to me. I, if any healing happens because the Holy Spirit chooses to use me, it is not because I'm especially godly. It's because he is especially good. And all of our spiritual disciplines are to be focused on knowing and loving Jesus and then signs and wonders come out of the overflow of that relationship with him. Third danger, spiritual pride. There's a story in one of the Gospels, I think it's in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sends out the 72 and then they come back rejoicing saying, Lord, even the demons obeyed us. And he affirms them. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But don't rejoice that the demons obeyed you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you are known by your Father. See, the danger is we can get a bit full of ourselves when moving in spiritual power. When the Holy Spirit tells us something that he's about to do, or he tells us the secret of someone's heart, and it proves to be accurate, it's a little bit intoxifying. Intoxicating. Better word, accurate word, real word. <laughs> we have to not get full of ourselves. Peter is not like this. He denies it, no. No, 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 no. Not my power, not my godliness, but God to glorify Jesus. And that refrain needs to be ours. We didn't do this. God in Jesus Christ did. Fourth danger, handling disappointment well. Has everyone you've ever prayed for got healed? No. Nope. I've prayed for some quite precious people and they were not healed. Not everyone gets healed this side of heaven and the new earth. I will defend to my dying day that God always wants to heal. God's will is always healing, but timing is the rub. 
There are some things that God will only heal in the new earth when Jesus has returned and the fulfillment of all things is finally here. Because we live in the time where the kingdom is both now and not yet, present and at hand, but waiting its complete fulfillment when Jesus comes back. Sometimes there's a spiritual warfare component to these things. Sometimes, even though Jesus has won the victory, we lose the battle. He's won the war, but there are skirmishes going on until that day he returns. And we need to know how to handle these well. We can't let them hit us too hard or make excuses when what we hoped and believed would happen doesn't. We can't change our theology to match our experience. There are people who will say, well, I tried it, it didn't work. Maybe God isn't doing this sort of thing anymore. And they take refuge in rational, sophisticated-sounding doctrine that denies the power of God. We can't go there. But we also can't start talking about spiritual healing when a physical healing is what we were in faith for. Sometimes that is what God is doing, sure. But all too often we reinterpret what we were hoping for to make ourselves feel a bit better. And that is a faith killer as well. Now, what we need to do when we don't see the results we want to see is take that pain, take that disappointment, lay it at the feet of Jesus, and then get up and get going again. Trusting in his goodness, trusting in his grace. And then the fifth danger, and this is the last one, wasting a miracle. Now, on one hand, I don't think a miracle can be wasted because God does heal for these other reasons as well. He does heal because he's good. He does heal because he's loving, because he's kind. But if particularly if we have seen a miracle in someone who has not yet given their life to Jesus, that miracle can go to waste if we don't do what Peter did and immediately start talking about, well, this is Jesus. This is just who he is. He wants you. This is why he's shown you he's interested in you. See, we take the sign and the wonder, the healing, the miracle, whatever it is that's happened to catch people's attention. And then we speak of him and what he has done. We share the gospel and we hold out the offer of new life in Jesus. We don't want to waste any of the miracles that God gives us, especially when it happens in the context of those that don't know who he is. So are there any dangers to avoid? Yes. We don't want to engineer any miracles or try and work anything up in our own strength. We don't want to fall into legalism and performance as if we could somehow earn this with our own righteousness and godliness. We don't want spiritual pride. We need to learn how to handle disappointment well and not get knocked off course when things don't go how we hope. And we don't want to waste any of the miracles that our God gives us. Amen. Amen. See, we're being invited in, I believe, Trinity Life Church, we are being invited into the reality of the kingdom of God. We're being invited into the power of the Holy Spirit at work amongst us and through us and for us and by us so that he gets the glory and so that people out there can see that he is worth knowing. I think there's a heart response 
And there's a question from the Lord, do you want that? Are you coming? I'm inviting you on an adventure. Are you coming? And if your response is, I don't know how, good. Because he can teach us and he can lead us. We're going to worship and pray. We're going to give space for the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to speak to our hearts and to encourage us. Should we stand? No, just after that. Mm. Um, Just reading this week, um, this is for me as well. It says in Joel 2, 28, and Mm. after, who will I pour out my spirit on all people? Your sons and daughter will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. You young men will see visions. Amen. Amen. Peter said in the last days, he changed slightly what Joel said. We're still in the last days, guys. We are still in the days where we are awaiting King Jesus. And so that promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Pat has just reminded us of is for today. Let's stand and pray and worship. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you want to glorify your name through signs and wonders. Lord, I want to thank you that you want to move through us. You want to work through us. Lord, you want to astonish us in the way that the early church was filled with awe and astonishment. Lord, I pray that as we worship you, that you would fill us afresh with your spirit. Lord, that we would be each and every one of us strengthened and trained and released and deployed in these things, Lord Jesus. Not for our glory, not by our own power or godliness, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has purchased us with his precious blood. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you invite us in and you send us out. Fill us up and send us out, we pray now, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him.